Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, how was your weekend? Welcome to Football Social Daily, back with another week full of the latest news and the tastiest bits from the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson, who boldly claimed on Friday's show that you don't see many giant killings in the FA Cup nowadays. <laughs> Three days later, Newcastle United, Reading and Burnley are all amongst the teams who were dumped out of the FA Cup by lower league opposition. And Arsenal joined that dubious roll call last night as they went 1-0 down to an impressive Nottingham Forest. We'll talk Arsenal being Arsenal in a little bit on today's podcast. We're also going to look ahead to tonight's Premier League we're also going to look ahead to tonight's all-Premier League clash between Manchester United and Aston Villa in the FA Cup. Both clubs surely seeing the Cup as a great chance for silverware this season. Marley Anderson and Noel McCorn to talk about all that alongside the latest transfer news and some picks for heroes and villains from the weekend as well. How are you both? Good weekends? Yeah, not too bad. I didn't get a great sleep in last night, actually. I thought it was in a dream that I was having, but it turns out it was actually real. I had this stabbing pain in the side of my ribs as I was lying down. Your girlfriend's trying to kill you, standing there with a knife. Well, <laughs> no, but she does have something to do with it. I woke up at about six o'clock in the morning, which is pretty early for me. And I thought, what is that pain? And it was the back of one of her earrings, you know, like a stud earring where you've got the, the, <laughs> the thing that kind of plugs into the back of it. That was, I was lying on that for the whole night. You could have dreamt like you were having a vaccination or something like that. That would have been very topical. Any, what, dreams, in the ribs? Ma- any dreams, Marley, that you can legally share on the podcast? <laughs> uh, the only dream, well, I thought it was a nightmare when Cambridge knocked us out. Mm. So it was a, a shocking weekend for me. I've always hated the FA Cup and uh, <laughs> this is why. I'm sure there will be more of that later when we come on to our heroes and villains. If I know Marley Anderson, I think I know who he's going to pick amongst his heroes and villains later. We'll get on to that shortly. But before we talk about Arsenal versus Forest as well, Arsenal going out of the FA Cup. Last week on the show, we were bigging up Dave as the most loyal listener to Football Social Daily. He had thousands of hours of listening to this podcast and his crown has been challenged by Etwin Suetono in California, who sent us a message on Twitter. 
at the Sports Social, if you want to get us there, by the way. He says, I've just listened to the latest podcast and the listening stats had me curious about my own listening. Seems like I've beaten Dave to it with four hours, sorry, four days, two hours of listening to the podcast last year. That's 5,880 minutes of Football Social Daily he's listened to. And he says he's already reduced his podcast listening over the 12 months as well. He didn't previously miss an episode between the 24th of August 2017 and the 12th of January 2019. Wow. So some impressive listening stats from Etwin. Well done, mate. That's dedication. <laughs> Bloody hell. So that was what, 5,000 minutes, was it? Uh, 5,880 minutes of listening. Right, well, we've had a couple of guys on Instagram who have smashed that out the wall oh, oh. as well. Edwin, your your yeah. record was short-lived. Right, we'll have to dig into those Instagram stats and pull them out in a future podcast and see if we can find the most dedicated Football Social Daily listener. It's the kind of dedication and the kind of commitment that Arsenal will wish they had because right now Arsenal are being very Arsenal. One step back, two step forwards, and it was a step back they took yesterday against Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. It was 1-0 to Forest. And is this just what we've come to expect from Arsenal now, Niall? Is it part of their DNA that they're finding really tough to shake off that particularly when they're playing lesser teams, they can't get up for it. They can't motivate themselves. Well, I think this is really interesting. And actually, if you take Etwin's 5,000 odd minutes of podcast listening, that equates to around 61 and a half full games of football. So (laughs) I think Arsenal could have played that many games last night and they still wouldn't have beaten Nottingham Forest. It's just something about Arsenal at times. And what you mentioned about them not being able to get up for it for the for the smaller teams. I think this season we've seen less of that. I think actually they've been pretty good. Aside from the first three games of the Premier League season this year, when they did lose and they went into the first international break of the campaign, rock bottom, I think they had a minus nine goal difference and there were some serious questions over Arteta in his future. You know, Arsenal were propping up the league table. It was absolutely remarkable. Um, And then you think about last season where they were 20 to one shots to go down. Now that sounds like a big shot in terms of odds, but this is Arsenal we're talking about. They should be, you know, hundreds of hundreds to one to go down. So for them to be 20 to one with the bookies it is, you know, a, a real concern. Um, but this season, it hasn't quite been like that. They, they've been pretty solid. They've been pretty consistent. They've been up and around the top four for the last few months. They've gone about their business quietly. And I've said on the podcast before, it's actually the bigger games that they struggle to perform in. I'm not sure whether get up, get up for is the right term, but... You know, they got a hiding off Liverpool. They got spanked by Manchester City. um, And I think they've been beaten um, by Chelsea as well this season. So it's just one of those where, you know, against the bigger teams, Arsenal aren't quite there. And whether that's just a lack of quality or an indication as to how far away they are from being a top side and challenging again um, is is another question. They've got a North London derby coming up as well. Um, that's, I think, not sure if that's their next Premier League game, but certainly they've got one on, on the near distant horizon. So... Um, they need to get up for that because if they don't, then, you know, that, that is, that is concerning. That really is concerning. And with Tottenham also gunning for the top four, that will, um, that will be a blow to Arsenal if they lose that, not only due to bragging rights and pride, but in the context of the Premier League. So I thought it was interesting that they weren't able to perform against Nottingham Forest. I think it is worth caveating that they do have a number of players out with injury. Uh, a couple of players have left for the African Cup of Nations. So aside from Lacazette, who was dropped, um, it, it wasn't really a full-strength Arsenal team. I mean, there's still some first-team uh, first players out there, no doubt about it. Um, 
but I guess the priority for Arsenal is is the uh, is the league game with Tottenham coming up. That's the only reason I can think of for the for the poor performance. Um, but credit to Nottingham Forest, who much like Arsenal had an equally shocking start to the Championship season. Um, Chris Hewton got sacked. I think they were without a win in their first five or six games. And they made the change very early in the season. I think early September or late August even they made the change. And, and now they've kind of gone on a run and they're looking a lot more solid. So um, congratulations to Nottingham Forest. With Arsenal, it's not a shock, which is a shame because they're they're the team that's won the FA Cup the most. No English club has won the FA Cup more than Arsenal. But it sets up a really nice East Midlands derby between Nottingham Forest and Leicester in the next round, which many people will be watching with interest because it's been a long time since those two sides who aren't technically rivals but it's very much a derby it's been a while since those two have met so Nottingham Forest well done commiserations to Arsenal no real shock I don't think they'll be too bothered they'll move on to this game against Tottenham which is coming up soon but yeah that'll be a good good game in the next round the fourth round Leicester against Forest bring it on Forest are a little bit like the championship version of Arsenal at the moment actually because they've got this great heritage this great history but they seem to have false dawn after false dawn after false dawn at the moment can never quite get to that point where they're competing at the top end of the table in a return to the Premier League. Arteta, Marley, he was calling out his players after this game. He said in his post-match, we needed more drive, we needed more hunger to win at any cost in every single action, much more. So he's calling out his players for maybe not having that desire, not having that drive as he puts it ultimately does the buck stop with him is it up to him to instill that desire to instill that drive to make his players up for the challenge that's ahead of them uh to, to an extent but not i would say it's more to, on the players to be honest like if you think about arsenal's sort of team and especially the team they put out yesterday it's a very young team They've all got a lot to prove in the game. They all want to establish themselves as sort of the next generation of Arsenal. Um, so you would think, you know, like they're getting chances in the Premier League. They're doing okay in the league now. So everything's sort of going all right. But I just feel like with the with the cup, because they're young players, they're going to be very um, uh, inconsistent. And there's going to be like big highs and then quite deep lows as in, the performance wise like they're gonna turn in shockers and then they're gonna the next week they might look amazing. That's been Arsenal all, all over for years. And I think that's only gonna get only gonna continue by the fact that their average age of the the starting lineup is about twenty four now. Um so you're looking at a really, really young team and you you associate that with, with a bit of inconsistency. Um and I think we've seen that against against Forest. They never they barely created a chance, I don't like this wasn't a smash and grab really for Forest. They had a few chances um to to go ahead, um, and I thought, luckily, luckily for them, they took the one that was best to take. Like, if you wanna, you don't wanna be hanging on for an hour against the Premier League side, um, like Morecambe had to on on uh, Sunday with uh, when they went one 0 up at Spurs and had to hang on for about seventy minutes and ultimately got caught. Um, if you're gonna go ahead against the Premier League side, you wanna do it ten minutes from the end when you can waste time and and you know um, just hang on for a, a small part where you're not all out on your feet. So. I think with with Arsenal, you know, talking about the drive and the hunger, I think the, the drive and hunger, how do you measure drive and hunger? I think it's one of them things that you, that managers say that, you know, oh, we needed more drive. It's like, well, yeah, but how can you sort of test that? Like, how can you not just say, well, we weren't very good. Like, we just all had an off day. Like, he's not going to say that. He's always going to say some sort of keyword like drive 
hunger, uh, we didn't want it enough, things like that. It's like, you, that's, hard, that's hard to measure. What about someone like Nuno Tavares, who was playing last night, who was substituted? And you look at his attitude. He came off, was substituted. He threw his gloves away. He didn't acknowledge Arteta on the touchline as he walked past. That shows he's passionate, right? That shows he's got... That might not be the behaviour you you want, but that shows he cares. Yeah, I mean, he was taken off after 33 minutes. So if he just came off and shook Arteta's hand and said, thanks very much, boss, and went and sat down in the, in the bench, I would, I would be a bit... going to get a broom. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get taken off after 33 minutes. He knows he's had a bad game, right? And the manager's made a a change to reflect that. And if he, if he doesn't, you know, react, I'm thinking, does he care? You know, his reaction for me would, would be a positive. You know, throwing his gloves down, not shaking hands with the manager. He's f***ed off with the manager. I would be if I was taken off after 33 minutes of a cup game against a lower league team. I mean, that's embarrassing for any player to not even make it to half time. So, you know, if it's not injury enforced, then you can understand his anger and frustration. So I don't think that's a negative thing. And like you say, it shows passion, but Marley's right. I mean, it shouldn't be entirely up to the manager to to get players up for a game. You know, Roy Keane always says this on the TV every time that Manchester United have an adverse result where he says, you know, you, you shouldn't need to be up for a game. You should be up for every game. It's your job. You should be bang up for winning every single time you step out onto the pitch but sadly it's a product of the modern game where that isn't the case but this isn't the first giant killing and it won't be the last and it won't be the last time that Arsenal were embarrassed in their journey to trying to become a, a top team in England again it's just you know product of of that I think what about Nottingham Forest then Marley you've already said it wasn't a smash and grab from them is that how much of this can we put down to Arsenal being bad and how much can we put it down to Forest actually being really good and putting a putting together an excellent game plan for this one. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say Forest are, are a really really good team, and you know that it wasn't. As, it could never be described as not a shock. I don't think. I thought it's it's always a always going to be a shock when a team like Forest beat Arsenal, even though they did it in the past. I think they're, they're the only team to knock them out of the third round stage, um, and they've done it twice in the last fifteen years or whatever it's been. But like they were good, and the, the game plan worked. I think Forest did what lower league teams do, and they they are bang up for it. They are um, everybody's you know running themselves into the ground um, to try and bridge that gap in in quality. And I think that was there. And ultimately, if Arsenal come and they they play below the best, that can happen. And you've seen it in you've seen it all over the the FA Cup this weekend. There's been they weren't the only ones. Who were who were shocked? Even Morecambe going ahead against Spurs, um, even Chesterfield scoring at Chelsea, um, and things like that, and Liverpool even getting pulled uh, pulled back to to one one at one point. So these things can happen. Um, yes, Forest are a better team than the ones I just mentioned, but um, you know it, it, I think it's just when you have that dip and you've got a, eleven lads who are playing, you know, the highlight of most of them's career. Um, you are going to be struggling to uh, to to keep that keep them at arm's length at times. Well, Arsenal are out, Forest are through, and there is one more team that will join them in the next round of the FA Cup. It will be either Manchester United or Aston Villa. They play tonight from one crisis club in Arsenal to another at Manchester United. Seemingly unsettled dressing rooms at the moment, caretaker bosses, outgoing CEOs. They could really do with a win right now, Manchester United, couldn't they, to raise morale, Nile? 
Yeah, but I think you could say that about any team at any time. I think, <laughs> true. you know, Manchester City are top of the league and they could do with a win in their next game because if they don't, it will be, oh my gosh, Manchester City are going to throw it away because that is the, <laughs> well, the is, whole... Is the, uh... is the crisis in that case, is it a bit, a bit overblown for Manchester United? Because after all, Ralph Rangnick's lost one game against Wolves. It just happens yeah. to have been the last game. Is it just all a little bit of an overreaction at the moment? Well, I'm glad you said that because that was kind of the route I was going down where, you know, as long as Manchester United aren't challenging for the Premier League title and the Champions League and all the major honours in club football, then it's a crisis because they're one of the biggest clubs on the planet. And if they're not challenging for top honours, then, you know, you have to suggest, considering the history that they have and the background that they built off of under Sir Alex Ferguson and and since he's kind of left the club, it hasn't been the same. But, you know, he set that bar, didn't he? He set that level of you have to challenge for the Premier League. Manchester United are a club that aspire to European domination and domestic domination. And that's something they haven't been able to do for a, a number of years now. So you have to suggest that as long as that's the case, then you could probably argue that it is a bit of a crisis at the moment. But you're right, Ralph Rangnick's a, a new manager who's coming to a new league. He's got vast experience. He's coming at a tough time as well because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, let's not forget, he was a club legend. He was off the back of two really humbling defeats to Liverpool and Manchester City. They, they kept him in situ and then United lost to Watford. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And I think... You know, Oli had no real option but to but to depart the club after that point. Some might argue that it could have come sooner, but the way it worked out is the way it worked out. And so you have this guy then coming in to take over from a club legend who everyone wanted it to work out within the club in particular, and all the fans I'm sure wanted it to work out for Solskjaer, and it didn't. So to take over from that at a period in which you're heading into the busiest run of fixtures in the calendar, something of which he won't be used to being a, a manager who's only taken charge of German clubs and other clubs in Europe. He's never managed in England. So to take charge of a club the size of Manchester United with the fixture scheduling the way it is and then throw COVID into the mix and a lack of time on the training ground, a lack of contact time with players. These all sound like excuses, but I think they're tangible factors as to why United haven't quite been at it. But then again, some of the signs we've seen in performances under Rangnick have been shown under Solskjaer as well so it's something that's kind of been carried over so you're right they've only lost one game under Rangnick and that was disappointing but their performances uh, have left a fair bit to be desired I mean I remember a 1-0 win against Norwich where they kind of scraped through that they were lucky to get a draw against Newcastle United and, and probably um, Newcastle should have gone on to win that game so it was just one of those where it did feel like that adverse result was coming and that defeat was coming and it has come and it's up to United to kind of switch it back on again and and turn it around they've obviously lost to Wolves which was poor but we've seen glimpses and flashes of what Rangnick wants to do we've seen the first half performance against Crystal Palace was a brilliant performance. The performance against Burnley was an excellent performance, but it feels like for every time Manchester United played the way that Rangnick wants them to, the next game they don't. So it's a consistency issue that I think that, that they're struggling with. Um, also, you know, in terms of Rangnick coming in, um, this time of year you've got players who have not had game time under the new manager. You know, with it being January, we've heard Anthony Martial's free to leave the club if he wants to. That was revealed by Rangnick in a press conference. We know Jesse Lingard has been keen to move back to West Ham. So, you know, these are things that we've seen reported in the in the press. And you've got to deal with a lot of players and a lot of egos at a club like Manchester United. And I just think it's one of those where, you know, there's no overnight fix for a club of that size. It's impossible to to come in and get it fixed right away. Whereas if you look by contrast at someone like Aston Villa, like United are playing tonight, Dean Smith, a great guy, 
someone who everyone within Aston Villa wanted to do well and succeed, but it wasn't working out and he got dismissed. Very similar to Solskjaer. But they've brought in Steven Gerrard, someone who has no experience, really, in comparison to Rangnick. And he's come in and he's steadied the ship. He commands respect because of his time in the Premier League. Now, there's an argument to suggest that because people don't really know too much about Rangnick, it's difficult for him to command that respect. I'm not sure I agree with that. I just think it's a case of when you're a club the size of Manchester United, there are far more problems to solve than at somewhere like Aston Villa. And that's not to say Villa aren't a big club. They're actually a huge club in the UK, but nowhere near the size of Manchester United. And I think that's that's an interesting uh, conundrum. You know, we've we've got two managers who both came into their respective roles at a similar time. And one has got better results than the other, but you'd expect that because Manchester United are a bigger club with better players. So this is a really interesting clash for me tonight between these two teams. Um, And actually, I think they meet again in the Premier League at the weekend. So this is almost a precursor to that. So yeah, a place in the next round of the cup at stake. Um, Manchester United should take this seriously. They've won their last two third round games, but Villa are no slouches, particularly under Steven Gerrard. They'll be eyeing up a an upset and they actually did win at Old Trafford in the Premier League earlier this season so looking forward to this one tonight and uh, it should be interesting I fancy it to be close There are two fan bases I think Aston Villa and Manchester United where the fans probably expect to win something now they'll feel like they deserve to win something certainly from Manchester United's point of view Marley so how do they approach this because my expectation would be in the third round for Manchester United they give some of those out of favour players a run maybe the likes of Anthony Martial or that feels unlikely at the moment Dean Henderson in goal Fred maybe in midfield give them the opportunity to stake a claim because they're no slouches it's not like that's a depleted second string but yet as Niall says this should be an important game it's a game that Manchester United want slash need to win yeah they do um I'm not sure if as well if there is Man United fans that expect to win something or demand to win something um expect is far too far too beyond them right now to expect to win anything with with this team and this setup in this sort of moment of their their sort of journey because they're miles away in my, in my opinion they they've got a lot to sort out before they can think about winning things and legitimately challenging for for big trophies whether that's cups or champions leagues or or premier leagues because they they've got a lot of problems to sort out but in terms of tonight, I think they, they definitely need a win. Um, I know they've only lost one under Rangnick, but the performances haven't been good for, for five or six of those nine games. They've not been um, dominant and sort of put their foot on someone's throat and and just sort of suffocated them. Um, it's been sort of um, sort of hit and miss. Yeah, yeah, they were good against Burnley, but it was Burnley at Old Trafford. How many times have Burnley ever won at Old Trafford? How many times have Burnley won this season? So it was never going to be... Um, a, a real marker of where the team was when they beat Burnley 3-0 or 3-1, whatever it was, over Christmas. Um, so Villa, I mean, Villa as well, like coming to Old Trafford with Steven Gerrard as manager, you know, f- lifelong Liverpool fella coming to play um, Man United at Old Trafford for the first time in his in his managerial career. He, he'll be desperate to get one over on him because that can put li- um, Chel- Chelsea, um, that can put Villa's... Uh, season back on track they've had a bit of a blip uh, in the last couple of weeks losing a couple of games but they can get right back on track with this um, with a win at, uh, in, in the game tonight because it would put a, a massive dent in Man United's season again another one um, and it would put sort of Villa back where they need to be they'll be thinking right well tell you what the league's 
the league's gone, we're not going to do anything in the league now, so why don't we try and have a cup run? Because Villa are the type of team that can be fully equipped to go and go full 100% at the FA Cup. Um, that would be a, a, a target for them. They're probably good enough to, to get very far. If they get a decent run, there's no reason why they can't make the quarterfinals and then really start like dreaming about just turning in a couple of massive performances, maybe reaching a final or something. So I think with Man United, it's it's about getting that momentum back in the season because if you lose two in a row at a club like Man United where the scrutiny is massive and the fan base turn on a sixpence every two weeks when everything's amazing and then everything's crap and then the, everything, the world's going to end when they lose two in a row and why are we getting an interim manager? What's the point in that? If they lose two in a row, I think that's um, that's a huge thing for them because I think the the media won't help them, um, and the players who don't seem like the most committed bunch ever, um, as you know, people have pointed out in the past, they don't seem like the most roll your sleeves up and fight type of squad. Um, it doesn't take much for their tails to go between the legs, and if they lose two in a row, we could see that again. Manchester United versus Aston Villa is the final game of the FA Cup third round. Villa fans who are waiting to see Philip Coutinho are likely to have to wait to the weekend, though the news is, or the rumours are, he won't be starting tonight. We're going to look back at the whole of the weekend next. We're going to pick our heroes and villains from the last couple of days of footballing action on Football Social Daily after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. It's time for our regular Monday game, Heroes and Villains, picking the Saints and the Sinners from the weekend's action. We've all got a hero, we've all got a villain. Niall, you can start. Let's do heroes first. Well, it's hard to look beyond, much to Marley's despair, uh, Joe Ironside, who scored for Cambridge United um, <laughs> to give them the victory. Over Newcastle the United. Fact he's called flipping Ironside as well. <laughs> Jesus, what? Oh That's my a great god! Name. But in all fairness, I think you could, you know, award a hero uh, status to any of the supporters that travelled. I think the supporters um, that went up to St James's Park to follow Cambridge were in fine voice, much like the Chesterfield fans that travelled down to Stamford Bridge. There were six thousand of them, and one Chelsea fan said they were the best away supporters they've heard inside Stamford Bridge all season. Um, brilliant Morecambe fans making the trip up to a uh, trip down I should say the long trip down to to the smoke for uh, for Tottenham um, that was a, a great turnout by them as well so all of those supporters who followed their clubs through thick and thin and you know, this is kind of their just rewards I suppose you could say getting to follow um, 
getting to follow their club at a Premier League ground. I'm sure Morecambe, when they were in the non-league 10 years ago or more, the supporters that were there then, um, when they first talked about moving stadiums and you know becoming a football league team under Jim Bentley and all of this stuff, I'm sure that they would never have imagined that they'd be playing Tottenham away at the most expensive ground in world football and the most modern stadium uh, against a manager like Conte, against players like Kane and Son. And to be able to go there and watch your team score a goal, I think it's absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, all of those supporters, you know, the Shrewsbury fans at Anfield as well, aside from the ones that chanted about Hillsborough outside the ground, I think we should condemn those immediately. Um, And, you know, the Swindon fans, I know they were at home against Manchester City, but they enjoyed themselves and... You know, for me, it kind of ties in a little bit to I wasn't going to pick this as my villain, but I was going to sort of touch upon it. Those people on social media that were like, oh, why are Swindon celebrating when they've scored a consolation goal against Manchester City? It's just like you obviously don't understand football or you definitely don't understand the FA Cup. If you can't see why Swindon Town in League Two, who were expecting to get battered by Man City and they did, scored a goal against them. You know, it's massive for them. A great moment for them. Much like Chesterfield. Much like Shrewsbury. And Cambridge obviously got that moment. So, you know, this idea that you can't celebrate a goal because you're not going to win the game. I mean, you're talking about a team who's, you know, 78 places or whatever it is below Manchester City in the table. Of course they're going to celebrate. So I I find that a little bit bemusing. But for me, you have to give hero awards to all of the fans that travelled and conducting themselves brilliantly of all of those clubs in the EFL, all lower divisions, particularly National League or non-league in Chesterfield's case, um, for their for their days out. I thought that they were brilliant. They added to the atmosphere and that's exactly why the FA Cup's is as good as it is for me and still remains the best cup competition in Europe. Very much so. I agree with that. I felt desperately sorry for the Swindon Town goalkeeper during that game as well for the second goal Manchester City scored where he tried to play it out from the back and just got closed down by City. And you could see it coming a blooming mile off. And it it was an inevitable, an inevitability that that goal was going to go in. So I felt desperately sorry for him. The ground must have must have wanted it to open up. So I'm going to pick my hero now before we get on to Marley's, um, because he always struggles to pick anything positive from the weekend as Marley. <laughs> so we'll give him a bit of extra thinking time. <laughs> my hero is Marcelo Bielsa, because if you watch the West Ham Leeds game, you'll know that Leeds were victim to what I even thought was a dodgy VAR call when Jared Bowen looked like he was offside before scoring West Ham's opening goal or setting up West Ham's opening goal anyway. Now, Bielsa was asked for his comment on that VAR call after the match and I thought his answer was the answer that I want to hear managers give when they have refereeing questions given after a match. He said, it's a decision. I prefer to accept what the referee says. Not because I haven't created an opinion, but it's a collaboration us managers should make. We should accept their decisions, even if they jeopardise us. So I thought that was a really good reaction from Marcelo Bielsa. He clearly wasn't happy with the decision, but he handled it with dignity. And he handled it in the way that I would like to think my manager would do so if he was in a similar situation. I'm interested to see what you boys think about that reaction. <laughs> Your manager's been moaning that you, that people can't sign players and play them in January when, when they've rearranged games. I'm not necessarily talking about my manager as in the guy who manages my football club. I'm th- saying the manager, oh, right, my, okay, my right. ideal manager <laughs> of a football club. No, David Moyes would be all over, whinging, <laughs> whinging completely. But I was going to say. I like the dignity that Marcelo Bielsa had in that situation. And you compare that to, for example, to pick a name out of thin air, Jurgen Klopp. I'd much rather have my manager reacting like Marcelo Bielsa 
than Jurgen Klopp. Well, that's that's not. Uh, well, nobody wants to react like Klopp or be around somebody who, who reacts like Klopp. To be honest, <laughs> I sent a tweet last week which was hilarious when Klopp tested positive uh, for COVID, and somebody said, "I feel sorry for anyone who's had to isolate with." Uh, feel sorry for COVID having to isolate with Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> And his constant whinging and moaning, I thought it was brilliant. He would not be a good patient, would Jurgen Klopp? I can't imagine that one. Right, we'll move on then. Let's do your hero, Marley. Who are you picking for your shining light from the weekend? Um, as much as as much as I'd rather not pick pick the uh, the fella, it was um, the goalkeeper for for Cambridge, Dimitar Mitov, um, who pulled off a couple of unbelievable saves to uh, to to bring that that win home for Cambridge um is he made a couple one in the first half from Jacob Murphy um that he managed to tip over the crossbar proper sweet strike that was flying into the back of the net tipped it over and from then on you were thinking oh Jesus like if if these aren't going in the goalkeepers having this type of game where does uh, where does it end um and speaking of end I think it was the last touch of the game pretty much corner comes in Joel Linton meets it perfectly um, no man on the line either as well um, for for Cambridge and the keeper who looks beaten just stretches out a hand dives away to his right tips it over the bar and uh, that was sort of confirmation that Newcastle weren't getting anything from that game but that's uh, that's down to like I said before you know everybody fancying the job individual performances being you know 10, 20, 30, 50% higher than they usually are um, and performances on the other side being 10 20 or 30 percent lower than than what they usually are and that can bridge that gap and that's exactly what Cambridge did but the shining light for them was the goalkeeper who uh who kept them in the game and uh and won it for them really other than well obviously the goal won it for them but the goalkeeper really uh really stood out for me so fair play to him should we use this as a junction to talk about your villain Marley as well is your villain connected to that Newcastle Cambridge United game by any chance um Yes and yeah, well yeah, but <laughs> yes and no because <laughs> there's Steve. Steve Bruce had nothing to do with it. You cannot blame him for that. I I, I could, but I won't. Um, no, I I was struggling to pick a villain because there was no one that was worse than everyone else. Do you know what I mean? Like there was no, like Debravka made a mistake for the for the goal, yeah, but he wasn't worse than the other types of players. It was kind of what Arteta was saying. Um, with, with the Arsenal game, like I don't know if you could probably say they didn't want it enough. It wasn't enough hunger, but ultimately we just didn't play well. Um, so I'm, I'm struggling to pick a villain, but so for that reason I probably pick the whole team just because you have to. Um, it was good enough to go and win the game comfortably, but the lack of, I think it's the lack of confidence. I don't think Newcastle know how to win a game right now. They can, you know, it was a sort of a with the one game we won against Burnley. It was kind of a. It was a good performance, but still, it was one goal, and then hang on to that one goal. Um, so, if you consider that, we've gone out of the cups um, both in the first at the first hurdle, uh, the Carabao. We went out straight away, um, to, ironically to Burnley, um, and then now we've gone out to Cambridge. So it's just embarrassing, but these things given, happen. Given but your speaking of position, though, given where you are in the Premier League at the moment, mm. is it a bad thing that you've gone out of the cup? I'll put it this way: if you if you said if you said to me, you know, would you rather you can win one game of these, either Cambridge or Watford next week, and it be it would be Watford in a heartbeat. It would not be Cambridge. I would say I'd let Cambridge beat us 
if we can guarantee a win against Watford. Uh, and that's what we have to do because... It's a shame it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I know, it doesn't work like that. We'll, we'll probably lose to Watford now and I'll be... God knows God knows where I'll be, but it's just... Uh, yeah, it's. I wish football worked like that, to be fair, but it's um, it's what has to happen. You know, we have to... The one, the one sort of shining light I've got from it is quite often when Newcastle have a, a shocking result, they play better for a couple of weeks afterwards. Um, they they sort of they think right we've got to bounce back now even even under Bruce who did it a little bit um, still lost the games just by less than we would have um, but under how maybe with a bit of additional tactics and hunger in the team they can be like right okay we were never going to win the FA Cup that was embarrassing let's bounce back and we'll beat Watford and then we'll play I think we've got the Norwich coming up soon I think as well so there's there's a few teams coming up now few games against teams around us that uh, that we can go and hopefully take points off and, and achieve our objective, which is stay in the flipping Premier League. Right, everyone likes a good cathartic Monday moan and Marley's had his. Niall, who is your villain for the weekend? Well, I'm loath to do this because um, I kind of work a little bit in this field, but the TV broadcasters for their FA Cup picks over this weekend, they just picked all the wrong games, haven't they? They've picked all the wrong games. I mean, Kidderminster Harriers beating Reading by two goals to one on Saturday afternoon. Kidderminster are the lowest ranked team in the FA Cup and they come up against the championship side who have had their struggles recently. But that's a big difference. A team in the National League North against the championship team. Um, You know, that's five divisions, maybe even six if if I'm figuring that out correctly. And Kidderminster 1-2-1 wasn't on TV. Barnsley against Barrow, championship side against League Two side, finished 5-4 to Barnsley after extra time. Barrow down to 10 men and equalised three times in that game. Just absolutely remarkable stuff. Wasn't on TV. Um, Chesterfield against Chelsea. That was on TV, but it was on the red button. Instead, they had Hull City against Everton. I know what I would rather have watched, Chelsea against Chesterfield. In the end, Hull City against Everton turned out to be a better game. Everton won after extra time, thanks to Andros Townsend's excellent strike from outside the box. But, you know, Chelsea beat Chesterfield 5-1, but those are the games that people want to watch. So I think in terms of the TV picks, some really poor choices. And yesterday, no offence to your team, Jim, but West Ham against Leeds. Why was that on the telly? We see we see West Ham against Leeds every single season, twice a season in the Premier League. You get it in the League Cup as well. It happens more often than not where you get Premier League sides. And tonight, Manchester United against Aston Villa. Those two teams are playing in the Premier League next weekend, and that's on TV as well. So we would have already seen that same game just repeated a week later. So... Everyone wants to see the lower league teams on TV. If they get a hiding like Chesterfield did against Chelsea when they were 4-0 down inside half an hour, then so be it. But for every time you put one of those games on TV, you get a Kidderminster, you get a Cambridge, you get teams like that 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 do pull it off. So um, I was a bit surprised at the TV picks. So whoever's picking the games for the FA Cup uh, third round uh, that's just been, they would be my villain, I think, because... um, you know, it's not often these lower league teams get to be on TV and get the money for it. So uh, so that was a shame. I had this discussion with someone on Twitter over the weekend, actually, about the games that had been picked for TV. And I wasn't excusing it, but I was justifying it in that I think probably the three of us here, we're, we, 
we we're kind of we're, we're into football we like football and so we like the romance of the FA Cup and the idea of seeing a minnow versus a big team and a potential cup upset I think the majority of people who like football and we saw this with the European Super League and the proposals there they want to see big teams they want to see the big games and a TV company ultimately wants to get the biggest audience possible and two Premier League teams going toe-to-toe on the BBC prime time is going to get more viewers than a smaller team. It's just, it's, uh, it's, is uh, it? yeah, yeah, it is, I think. Uh, well, I mean, I think, is there not an element of everyone knows about the FA Cup, whether you're a sport fan or not, you know that the FA Cup has a potential to cause an upset. Cambridge against Newcastle, that would have been on the news last night, not in the sports section. It would have been in the news bulletin. Small team beats big team in FA Cup. It's It always is. You know, and the FA Cup used to be on terrestrial TV back in the 70s and the 80s, where, you know, sorry to bring Newcastle up again, but everyone talks about that Hereford game when Newcastle got beat in the 70s. You know, everyone talks about it. Chesterfield, I think, reached the semi-finals of the FA Cup in 1997. You know, these are teams that don't ever get their moment in the sun. So I think that actually with the element of the underdog and the cultural importance of the FA Cup in this country, even if you don't like football... The FA Cup final was on TV every season and the build-up started at 10 in the morning. Kickoff was at 3 at Wembley and it was an all-day affair. And and people would tune in in their millions to watch the FA Cup. And the FA Cup final is still broadcast on terrestrial TV. It's the only sort of free-to-air cup final that you get. I mean, the Champions League used to be on ITV, but that's gone. You know, you have to watch that on YouTube now if you want to watch the final. So... I do think the FA Cup is more important historically and culturally than people give it credit for. So, I mean, with this idea of the underdog being involved, I think you would have had neutrals or non-football fans tuning in to watch the FA Cup if they had been watching uh, Cambridge United 1-0 up against Newcastle. Can they hold on? Kidderminster Harriers 2-1 up against Reading with 12 minutes of added time. Can they hold on? I think that element of the underdog probably would would have counted in favour of some of the viewing figures I know what you're saying there's more West Ham and Leeds fans that would have watched the game on TV but is a, is a neutral otherwise not fussed football supporter or non-football supporter going to tune into Leeds against West Ham probably not are they going to tune into plucky underdog beating Premier League giant with five minutes to go I think they probably are so I think in terms of scooping up the neutral audience or those that aren't that interested in football and maybe getting a new in- a generation interested in the game Maybe those are the games you do pick. I don't know. I think it'd be interesting to see what the viewing figures were for underdog versus giant Swindon Town versus Manchester City compared to Premier League versus Premier League in West Ham versus Leeds United. It might give us a hint as to what those audiences would be like. But I think there was no doubt that the television picks were made for audience rather than necessarily for public service, for example. We're going to look at the transfers very shortly, very quick roundup of a couple of stories. But before we do that, my villain to wrap this up. Now, I've kind of cheated a little bit here because my villain of the weekend is Arsenal for being very Arsenal-y and all the reasons we've discussed already. Spurs are Spursy, Arsenal are Arsenal-y. They've got it in their DNA. But I'm going to flip it slightly because I think we've gone in on Arsenal and I want to give them a little bit of credit for something because you would have spotted at the weekend that they were wearing an all-white kit. Now, we know how hard it can be to make a statement when it comes to the kit you're wearing in terms of doing it for a cause or doing it for a charity. There was all that fuss about teams wearing away kits for a weekend over Christmas to support a homelessness campaign and the Premier League 
blocked it and all that kind of thing. So it was good to see the Gunners going to a bit of effort in the Forest game, wearing their all-white kit because it was supporting a campaign that I think deserves some mention. It's called No More Red, which is a campaign against knife crime, in particular knife crime, which is a big issue in North London at the moment. So when you saw them on the pitch putting in an embarrassing display at least they were doing it for a good cause in a good kit to raise awareness and I like seeing football clubs when they do what they're really good at and what they're really good at is social campaigns and raising awareness of issues and particularly when it's an issue that impacts a fan base as directly as knife knife crime does with a London club I thought was a brilliant statement so well done Arsenal you were terrible on the pitch but at least you did something good within that game in terms of supporting the No More Red campaign. So well done. That wraps up our heroes and villains. A very quick transfer roundup is coming up next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. One final bit of this podcast. We're going to look at a few of the transfers. We'll wrap this up really quickly. And we're going to start with The Athletic, who are reporting that Tangard and Dombele could be leaving Spurs this window. The 25-year-old was Tottenham's record signing. 54 million quid he cost, but now he's looking for a move away. Why hasn't it worked for Ndombele at Spurs, Marley? Because he's had three different bosses. He seemed like a good signing when he came in, but nothing seems to have really worked for him in London. Uh, that's a million dollar question or a 60 million pound question I should probably say because um, that's how much it costs wouldn't it but I don't know I don't know what um, what's quite went wrong I think it's probably not one thing it's probably uh, a, a sort of web of things to be honest um, I don't know if if uh, Spurs have ever played the best formation for him to sue his his talents he's very sort of box to box if you play him in sort of a four two three one as one of the holding midfielders he doesn't do a great job there because he wants to get forward and he's not amazing at defending um he tends to sort of charge around the pitch and use use his energy and sort of things like that to go chasing the ball and set pressing and things like that and I just think sometimes that hasn't been quite a um a match for him at Spurs I think the manager's situation doesn't help. He's had Mourinho at first. Um, you know, I can't even begin to describe the amount of players that have, haven't got on with Mourinho in terms of his tactics and his approach to football. 
Um, Nuno Santo as well didn't didn't quite work. And Conte, if you're if you've got no confidence and Conte comes in, and you don't play well at first. You know, it's it's not he's not the kind of guy to put an arm around you and say, you know, come on, what do you need for for, for you to succeed? I think Conte is the type of guy who to pin you up against the wall and say play well or or piss off, because um, it's just it's just how he works in it. And I think if you've got no confidence and you don't quite fancy it, Conte could be not the right manager. And then Dombele has now had three managers. He's played plenty of games to show something, to just show anything really, um, that he can be a sort of um, player that you can sort of look at and say, come on, carry us through this game, because he has got that type of talent. We've seen it at Lyon, we've seen it in the Champions League, um, but they probably played more to suit his talents, and I'm not sure Spurs are doing that, but that is part of being a, a bigger club than Lyon. Like, they've got Kane, they've got Son, they can't build the team around Ndombele and hope he, hope he sort of drags you through. He has to fit into a team that's already there to make them better. Um, I, he just hasn't done that, it hasn't really worked. Um, well, it hasn't worked at all, and we're in January. He's just turned in another shocker against Morecambe from, from all accounts. I uh, didn't see the game, but um, he, he didn't have the best game by the sounds of things. And could he go back to, to France? Because Spurs could probably do with the money if they can if they can get uh, some cash room. Or can they get someone to buy him? Someone with a bit of uh, cash? Cause they, I've got a feeling they'd probably take £30 million if they can if they can get it or even ship him out on loan. I was going to say, do you think he'll stay in the Premier League, Nile? Because one of the things that's been levelled at him as a criticism is his work rate. And we know that the Premier League demands a certain level of work rate. So will he be likely to stay in England, do you think? Or do you think we'll see him going to France or La Liga or somewhere like that? Yeah, I mean, it's taxing playing in the Premier League. And you know, if you do want a challenge, um, then you come to the Premier League. But if you kind of want to maybe take your foot off the gas a little bit, that's not to say the other leagues are easier because I think La Liga is still a very tough league, as is Serie A, as is the French League in parts. I do think that if you've plied your trade in the Premier League and then you make a move away, I do think that that is, you know... A, be- a benefit to you in terms of your fitness and your physicality I mean the the game is always the same football is always football but there are different styles and general patterns of play that you see in different leagues and you know the Italian league has this reputation for being slightly slow and more methodical I'm not sure it's quite like that anymore um, La Liga has this reputation of being more technical and less direct I don't know if it's like that anymore either I mean I, I'm just kind of going off what cliches have been in the past so maybe in terms of the fitness levels um, you know with in the Premier League and having to be at the top of your game moving to those other uh, professional leagues like you say might be m- might be a benefit in terms of, of being able to dictate the pace of the game I mean with, within Dombele I think he's actually been pretty good um, since Conte have come in personally uh, but whether he um, returns to France or not I don't think it will be a a situation in where everyone was saying, "Oh no, what a disaster! They've lost him." Um, you know, it's reminds it's, it's nothing like, for instance, and I know they're slightly different players, but you know, when Chelsea had Claude Makélélé, and it was kind of, "Oh no, what are they going to do without him?" Like if Chelsea now lost Ngolo Conte, it would be a big blow to them. In terms of Tottenham, if he left in in the summer or left in January, would people go, "Hmm"? They're really missing him. I'm not sure they would. would people, and I guess would that people kind of notice? Answers, yeah, it, well, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I suppose that answers the question. Let's move on to wrap up today's podcast with a little bit of Newcastle United chat, as seems to be 
the general vibe on the podcast at the moment because we know Newcastle have money to spend. It's just waiting to see where they're going to spend it. And the latest transfer targets include, prepare to get yourself excited, Marley, Burnley's Chris Wood, according to Sky Sports, and according to Team Talk, RB Salzburg's Noah Okafor as well. They're both suggested as players that could come in to improve Newcastle United's goal-scoring options. Do you fancy either of those? Still no sign of Mbappe, but Chris Wood... (laughs) You know, it's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've seen this Chris Wood link. Um, I understand the logic behind it. Um, is a, we, we do we do need a target man. Um, we've just signed a, a very good crosser in Kieran Trippier. We need someone in the middle who can head it in because even Callum Wilson, when he's fit, isn't uh, known for his aerial ability. Um, so we do need a striker. Is it Chris Wood? <laughs> If it was just, do you want Chris Wood? Uh, it's not really, because I honestly think he's he's just he's very wasteful as a striker. I don't think he's very, um, well, I don't think he's very good to be honest. But the the advantages are he is good in the air. He is a target man that can play on his own up front as we need in our in our squad. Um, and the main thing is you take away Burnley's main goal scorer, and they're in the relegation fight with you. Um, so I think it's slightly, it's like a tactical one in it. Yeah, if you can't beat them, take the best players. <laughs> Just sign the best players. We'll probably go for Watford's best player. We'll probably go for Ismail Asar on deadline day after they beat us next week or something like that. Um, so yeah, it's it, there's more logic to it. Like when you say, "Do you want Chris Wood?" You, you your first thought is, "No, why? Why would you want him?" But the fact that he's I think he's 30, 30, 31. Um, and he's he's like, he's probably going to be open to a, a, a couple, like a, a move for a couple of years towards the end of his career where he can earn a, a lot more money and, you know, be be part of something that's uh, a little bit more ambitious than Burnley. Um, they've won one, I think Burnley won one or two games this season. So it's not, they're not, they're doing what they normally do. There's the the lure of this might go really well at Newcastle as well um, for him. So you'd, you feel like you'd fancy the move. Look, it's not going to, there's not going to be many wood number 30 shirts flying around Newcastle anytime soon if he does sign, but he's probably a player that can do a job in the situation we're in right now. What sort of striker do you need, Marley? Because obviously Wilson's out now, what is it, for six or eight weeks or something? <laughs> Just any, any striker. Yeah, so I mean, obviously you had Rondon yeah. before who's been awful at Everton, really. Yeah, and terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, Joe Linton was used as a nine, as almost this battering ram. Chris Wood seems to fit that mould as well. And now, obviously, Joe Linton's dropped into central mid, so maybe they'll start using him up front again. I don't know, but he seems so useful in the middle of the park, it would be silly to move him. So what kind of striker do you need? Because Wilson isn't that target man, big guy, battering ram kind of striker. He's a bit more dynamic than that. So is that kind of what you're looking for? Uh, probably, yeah. We need... We need different types of strikers. Um, I mean, we didn't even have one in the squad on on Saturday. Um, I think Dwight Gill was injured or something. I just couldn't be asked. Um, so it was just one of them where you you just think, Christ, we have we have got no options. Like to to pin your season on Callum Wilson is is silly because as as fantastic as he is, and he does do the hold up stuff re- really well as well. Um, for someone who's not the not the most powerfully built fella in the world. Um, he does do that really well. He, he leads the line really well. So you need someone who can do that, and that probably does lend itself to being a bit of a target man. Um, we used to play well with Andy Carroll, but when 
Carroll came back, Bruce's tactics and the fact he was on the pitch always suits players into just lumping it up towards him and seeing what he can do with it. So I think you need somebody who's who can can lead the line like Rondon did. Um, obviously, as you said, Rondon has gone to gone to like pieces a bit at Everton. It's not really working for him. But you probably do need someone of the ilk of of Chris Wood. Ideally, a lot better than Chris Wood. However. I just think for this six months it kind of makes sense, um, because just because of the the twofold thing of it, he fits into the squad. He's got experience in the league. You won't need any settling in time, and you take away Burnley's best goal scorer. So, you know, it kind of makes sense. You need someone made of tungsten as well, because if not, then if they get injured, then you're yeah. kind of shafted again. And the two names that kind of popped into my head when you were talking then. Um, one of them won't happen because he's ancient and I think he's probably going to call time on his career and there's the Sunderland link. Someone like Jermaine Defoe, it feels like this is the sort of signing that he would make earlier on in his career. You know, is going Jermaine to... Defoe still alive? <laughs> he's still around, he's still around. Ranges, he's doing more he? punditry now. He's at, at ranges, yeah. Um, and the other one was Olivier Giroud, but if the takeover had happened yeah. at the start of the season in the summer when he was leaving Chelsea, you could have picked him up. But obviously now he's gone to Milan and I think he's scoring goals there. So it doesn't look likely he's going to leave Milan. But Yeah, that would have um, been a good one. He, he was the name that, that kind of really stood out when you were talking there. Yeah, and uh, I think a few years ago, I'm talking eight, about eight years ago, when uh, when he was at Montpellier and he won won the league with Montpellier, um, Newcastle went and signed Remy Cabela from, from Montpellier oh, instead yeah. of Giroud. <laughs> and that worked Jeez. out terribly. I think he's playing in Russia now or something like that. So... That's uh, that's us all over, to be fair. But yeah, our transfer business needs to get a lot better than uh, than it has been in previous years. Are you concerned about the number of names being linked with Newcastle at the moment? Because I mean, one side of me goes, well, it's just paper talk. It's if a agent wants a move for their player, what better thing to do than link them with Newcastle? It kind of works. It makes sense in terms of moving a player on. But on the other hand, does it hint that maybe? these guys that have come in to run Newcastle who don't have a history of running football clubs maybe lack a little bit of strategy? Uh, to be fair, I think most of it's just paper talk. I think it's a lot of it's paper talk and a lot of it's agents knowing that there's a there's a cash cow out there um, and sort of putting things in the media. And it's, I think that's two angles it's coming from. And if you're judging... Like, I was a bit sceptical about the, the owner's... Having never, having not had someone on board with them who's negotiated football transfers and things like that, no one really experienced in that sort of field. Um, but the first, the first player we signed is an England international for twelve million quid. That's good business. That's a really good start. Um, somebody has to negotiate that. And lost to Cambridge United in his debut. Well, there you go. Yeah. Next thing we just need yeah, about six more like that of of that sort of ilk. But the the deal they done was good. No one's saying, "Oh, you've paid too much for him." The, I think there was initial reports that it was twenty seven or thirty five million for him. It ended up being twelve plus some you know unspecified add ons. Probably a. Um, a relegation avoidance clause or something like that with like another five million to them or something like that, whatever it is. But that's a price you pay. That's good business for me. So, so far we've done decent business. So let's carry on. 
Well, that is it for today's Football Social Daily from me, Marley, Niall and Darren, who's the man who's building a cupboard under my stairs at the moment. Apologies if you could hear him (laughs) hard at work in the background, drilling and banging and whatnot. I'll give you an update on how the cupboards look towards the end of the week. So make sure you click subscribe to get a cupboard update when we release more of these podcasts. It's not a trophy cabinet, is it, Jim? (laughs) Maybe. All those darts trophies he's won because he never seems to miss. (laughs) Let's not not get started on darts. Um, You can find podcasts on darts and a whole load of other sports on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just search Sports Social Podcast Network in Google and it'll pop up there. You can find your next favourite podcast for whatever sport it is you want to get involved with. And we'll see you tomorrow for another Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.